copy of God's Word, please, this morning. Uh, Genesis chapter 34. Appreciate the guys and gals in the sound booth this morning. They've had their hands full. They've done a great job getting everything switched over. There's a lot more to that than you realize. Uh, so thank you, folks back there. You're doing a great job today. Genesis chapter 34 this morning. And you know, there are some chapters in the Bible that we certainly understand why God included them. They're enlightening, they're inspiring, they're instructive, uh, they're helpful to us. We, we get it. We understand why God gave us that particular chapter. But then there are some chapters that leave us perplexed. We're not sure exactly what to do with them. We're not even sure why God included them in the sacred canon in the first place. Uh, when you're preaching through a life or you're preaching through a book, you, you come to it, and you kind of scratch your head and wonder, how do I handle this? Do I even handle this? Do I even preach on this chapter? Because it's one of those chapters that you're just not sure about. But uh, God has chosen to give us these chapters. And when we come to one of these that perplexed us, it's good for us to remember that God gave it to us in His perfect wisdom. He didn't give it to us just to fill space. Uh, he gave it to us because it's important. And whenever we come to such a chapter, and Genesis chapter 34 is such a chapter, it's good to remember uh, what the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so that would cover this chapter too. This is a profitable chapter. Now I've got to warn you this morning. What we're about to study uh, are some very disturbing topics. Uh, this is not a chapter that you'll find them uh, making Sunday school coloring sheets about. Uh, you won't find this chapter uh, written as a Sunday school chorus for children to sing. Uh, if truth be known, uh, it looks more like a pirate's tale than a scene from a patriarch's family. In Genesis chapter 34, there's rape, there's murder, there's pillaging. And if truth be known, what unfolds in this chapter are really a parent's worst nightmare come true. And uh, one other thing you need to know about Genesis 34. As we read it, you won't find God anywhere in the chapter. He's sadly absent. And not by His choice, but by the choice of those who are acting out uh, in their lives in this particular scene. So I say all that to say this. Let's just read the whole sorry story, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it, okay? And I will tell you, it may generate some questions, and it may generate some thoughts, and that's okay. Uh, but let's look at it together, and uh, I've given you kind of the warning, and so let me just wait to read it for you. If you haven't read it recently, you'll see what I'm talking about as we go through it. Genesis chapter 34, as we continue looking at the life of Jacob, we're drawing to the end of our study, but here we find Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, and so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. 
And the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us, and give your daughters to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. So shall you dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourself in it. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. Verse 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and you will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young men, or excuse me, so the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. Now verse twenty. And Hamor and Shechem, his son, came to the gate of their city. And spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Brings us to verse 25. Now it came to pass on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, and their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? Now I warned you, <laughs> There's so much we could say about this chapter. There's so many things we could talk about. Uh, but I want to focus on what I believe is the root cause of this whole mess. And as I studied this and pondered this and wrestled over this and 
and prayed over it, I came down to what I think is the root cause. And that is simply this, the failure of a father. The failure of a father. Now, each individual is obviously responsible for their own actions. And uh, not all of the blame can be laid at Jacob's feet, but I think most of the blame could be laid at Jacob's feet when it comes to this account. He failed, and he failed miserably. And the failure of a father is a very serious thing. And I want to point out to you three main areas where we find that Jacob failed and failed miserably. And I'm hoping that by looking at his failure, we can learn and not repeat the same mistakes in our own lives. I want you to notice, first of all, that Jacob, uh, he failed uh, in protecting his children. He failed to protect his children. Now, the most obvious example, of course, is his daughter, Dinah. She's a victim here. But do you realize that the failure actually goes back further than just this one day where she is violated? It actually goes back probably several years at least. You remember that God had told Jacob to leave Uncle Laban's house and to return home. Uh, Genesis 31.3 Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. And then in that same chapter, we've already studied Genesis 31.13, God says these words, I am the God of Bethel, the place Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to be. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. And most Bible scholars agree that where God wanted Jacob to ultimately go was back to Bethel. That's where he was supposed to go. But along the way, he seemed to have gotten bogged down. And you remember we studied he met up with his brother Esau, and they part ways, and Esau goes toward his home, and then, he, and then we find Jacob traveling in fact, if you just glance back at the previous chapter, chapter 33, beginning at verse 17, it says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Succoth. So he was at Succoth first. Then verse 18 of chapter 33, Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Pandanaram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land, watch this, where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. Now read the first two verses of today's chapter again. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Understand that Shechem was a place, but it's also a person. Shechem here is the prince of Shechem, obviously. It looks like it's named after him. And it's obvious when we read what we find in verse or chapter 34 that Shechem was an evil place, a wicked place. We have to understand that by Jacob settling down in this wicked area, Jacob exposed his family to wickedness. Had he gone on to Bethel, had he gone on to the place where God wanted him, this would not have happened. Now listen, while we cannot protect our children from all harm, that's an impossibility, we cannot protect our children from all harm, we can sure protect them from much of it. And we ought to. And we need to take seriously, beloved, 
moms and dads, families, grandparents. We need to take seriously this whole idea of protecting our boys and our girls and our teenagers and our children from wicked influences. And they come today in all sorts of ways. They come to them in real life and other people. And they also come to them online. We have a whole virtual reality today. And wickedness comes today in games and songs and social media and internet and computers. And God helping us, we need to do everything within our power to protect the children's purity. To watch over their hearts. To protect their very lives. And to take that very, very seriously. In fact, jot down this reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Allow me to read it to you in the NLT this morning. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14-17, Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? And that's what we talk about, the fact that believers should marry believers, not believers marrying unbelievers. Don't team up with unbelievers. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? You're going to enter in any kind of relationship, partnership, business, or whatever. Be careful who you partner with. What union can there be between God's temple? By the way, who is God's temple? We are. Believers are. What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, listen, come out from among them, among unbelievers, separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Now, beloved, this is not the idea of being mean to lost people. We want to love lost people. We want to win lost people to Christ. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, of course, we have interactions with them. But this is the idea of forming close, intimate partnerships, of placing yourself in a very dangerous place. Be careful what associations you build. Be careful where you place your children. And then as I look at this story on a practical level, what in the world is Dinah? By the way, you say, well, how old is Dinah here? She's probably a teenager. What in the world is Dinah doing going to Shechem? I mean, I look at this chapter and I say, well, did she go alone? I look at it and I say, where's her father? Where's her mother? Why are there no brothers with her? Why is there no one here to help protect her? Here she is, a young lady, vulnerable, going into a wicked place among wicked people. Jacob failed to protect his children. But not only that, we find that he also failed to lead his children. It's very interesting here. Um, After raping her, It seems that Shechem fell, and I'm using this term for lack of better, fell madly in love with her. This is the opposite of the story of Amnon and Tamar in David's family, which is also a very sad chapter. It's the opposite um, in that situation. But here we have not Shechem hating her, but loving her. And I want you to notice what happens When Jacob finds out what happened, look at verse 5 of chapter 34 again. And and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. I'm looking at a lot of dads and granddads and men in this congregation. I want you to put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a moment. 
Let's say that's your daughter there. I know that's a horrible thought, but just for a moment. What would your response be? I know what it would be for a lot of you. I want you to see how Jacob responded. Look at verse 5 again. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. He said nothing. Look at his son's response. They finally show up, verse 7. The sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. And then we find, as we read through this morning, that Hamor and Shechem, they come and they try to bargain for Dinah. They act as if nothing really bad happened. They're not apologizing. Uh, they're not doing anything. They're just pretty much coming and saying, how much for the girl? How much? Name your price. And did you notice that as you read this passage, that Jacob does not speak again in Genesis 34 until the very end of the passage. He's silent. He'll speak again, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But the brothers take over, and they work out a plan. Look at verse 13. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father, and spoke, what's it say? Deceitfully. Let me ask you that. Where did they learn that from? <laughs> where did they learn this deceitfulness from? They learned it from their parents. They learned it from Jacob, the supplanter the deceiver, the heel catcher. And let me just say something else here. Leah was no angel. Don't forget, Leah's the one who conspired with her own uh, father to go into the marriage tent ahead of her sister. And so we find here that these boys, they learn from mom and dad. Uh, they caught what was taught there. They speak deceitfully. And they go even further. They say, listen, we'll agree if you agree to circumcision. They use the holy mark of the covenant with Almighty God as a way to deceive these people and work out their devious plan. Now, oh, if we only had more time, but the Shechemites agree, they go through with it, and then we find in verses 25 and 26 that uh, it just gets worse and worse. Look at verse 25 again. Now, it came to pass on the third day, that is after their circumcision, when they were in pain, that the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, her real brothers, this family's a mess, you know that as we've studied, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed who? All the males. Then in verse 26, they killed Hamor, Shechem his son. They took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. Not only deceit, but there's no mercy. There's just bold savage murder. And they murder all the men. Now, we're not sure. Did Simon and Levi act alone in that? Well, I don't know. But listen, they weren't long acting alone if they did. Look at verse 27. It says, The sons of Jacob. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. And then look at what it says in verse 28. Took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys... What was in the city, what was in the field, verse 29, all their wealth. Now look at the end of verse 29. And their little ones, the children, and their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. 
So you go from deceit to murder to stealing to kidnapping. Horrible stuff. And by the way, can I just remind you now, this is the life of a patriarch. This is Jacob, the one who is called Israel. This is the one whom God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As horrible as this is, I think even more horrible is Jacob's response. Jacob's been silent, but I want you to notice that he failed to discipline his children. Now, I want you to again put yourself in Jacob's shoes. It's bad enough your daughter was violated. Now your sons have gone out and deceitfully murdered and stolen and kidnapped. Horrible bloodshed. How are you going to respond? I want you to notice this response. Look at verse 20, uh, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Now, beloved, words almost fail me to comment on what Jacob says here. There are no words of discipline or correction. There are no words of concern for their character or their heart. All that I find here is Jacob concerned about himself. Did you notice that? I want you to notice the pile of personal pronouns in this one verse. Look at verse 30 again. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Now, real quick there, I count it seven times he refers to himself. He referred to his family and his household one time at the very end. Now, let me tell you something. This is Jacob. This is a man of faith. This is the father of the tribes of Israel. This is the one who wrestled with Almighty God. This is the one who inherited the promises that were given to Abraham and to Isaac. I mean, let's just be honest about it, beloved. This man doesn't even appear to be a decent man in this episode. This is a disgusting thing that we read here, much less does he appear to be the father of Israel. He failed, and he failed miserably. But here's the interesting thing. While we might shake our heads and walk away and wash our hands of such a man, while we might give up on Jacob, I want you to notice something. God does not. I want you to see what appears in the very next chapter, in the very next verse. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, we find God's voice. It says in Genesis 35, 1, Then God said to Jacob, 
Arise, go up to Bethel, the house of God, and dwell there. And make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Oh, beloved, how sweet is the undeserved mercy and grace of our loving Heavenly Father. We can blow it royally. We can fail horribly. And our faithful God stands ready to pardon, to forgive, and to extend His grace. You see, we've called this series from the very get-go, He's Still Working on Me. And it's obvious here that He's still working on Jacob. Now, it's interesting. Later on, Jacob would have something to say about this horrible episode. In fact, if you were to fast forward, and I won't ask you to turn there, but you want to jot these references down, and I'll read them to you. In Genesis chapter 49, you have Jacob speaking over his children, blessing them, and so forth. And I want you to hear what he says to Simeon and Levi. In Genesis 49, 5 through 7, here's what Jacob says. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Listen to what he says. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Strong words from a dad, right? Upon his sons. But you know what? I want to remind you again about God's grace. One of these boys, his name was Levi. Simeon and Levi. And Levi is one of the ones that went on this killing spree here in Genesis 34. But just think about it for a moment. Do you remember anything about Levi's descendants? The Levites. They became what in Israel? They became the priests in Israel. Oh, the mighty grace of Almighty God. Now, what do we take away from this passage? I don't want you to go away depressed. I'm almost depressed after reading this. I think there's a couple lessons that we can leave with. Number one, I think, is this reminder. Parents, our behavior... And our decisions impact our children for good or for evil. For good or for evil. I said earlier in the message, and I stand by it, that much of the blame of what goes on here lies at the feet of Jacob. The decisions that he made. The life that he lived. The choices that he made. The things that he did and did not do. And we need to be reminded that our children are watching our lives and the decisions we make and the choices we make and the behaviors we model, they're looking at us. We need to take very seriously the place that God has given us to lead and guide and discipline and protect these children that God has given to us. But there's another lesson. And it's this. 
when we do fail, notice I didn't put if we fail. (laughs) I put when we do fail. We need to run to Jesus. We need to run to Jesus. There are no perfect parents, perfect grandparents, perfect people. Only one has ever lived upon the face of the earth who was perfect. Maybe I should rephrase that. Adam and Eve at the beginning were perfect, but they failed. There's only one who is forever perfect and was forever perfect. That is the Lord Jesus. And we fail. We drop the ball. We make the wrong decision. We respond in the wrong way. We react in the wrong way. When we fail, we need to run to Jesus. I hope that you saw in the passage that while there's the failure of a father on the one hand, there's the faithfulness of a father on the other. I'm referring, of course, to our Heavenly Father. Do you see His grace and love? That here is Jacob, and he knows God, and he's the patriarch, and he's the father of the tribes of Israel, and he drops the ball this badly, and yet God doesn't say, Jacob, I'm done with you. I've had enough of you. He says, Jacob... Arise and go to the house of God. Arise and go to Bethel and make an altar there. And so I say to you, and I say to myself today, and I want to encourage you in this, that when we fail, and we will fail, and we do fail, run to Jesus. He's waiting with open arms to receive you unto himself, to grant to you his grace, to grant you his pardon and to help you in this mighty task that is ours in parenting and grandparenting and guiding and leading precious people to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's so much we could say beyond this, but I think that's enough for today. Enough to chew on for today, don't you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're so faithful to us. And Lord, there have been times in my life, I'm sure there's been times in our lives, that each one of us could point out and talk about how we have failed. We've messed up, we've sinned. We've made mistakes, we've done wrong. And Lord, it's an encouragement today to see that you recorded this particular chapter. We know that you're in charge of what's in the book because I'm sure Jacob would not have chosen this particular chapter to be included. But you paint these pictures, warts and all. And Lord, you give it to us for our instruction, our correction, to teach us and to guide us. And I thank you for your grace in the midst of failure in Jacob's life. And I thank you for your grace in the midst of failure in our life. And I thank you, Lord, that just as you were still working on him, you're still working on us to make us like your son, the Lord Jesus. May we run to Jesus and find the grace and help that we need. And Father, I do pray for families, for parents and grandparents and all those who interact with young people, that you would help us to live godly lives realizing that they are looking at us and they're watching us.
and they're being instructed by us, whether we open our mouths or not, they look at our lives. Help us to live godly in Christ Jesus. And when we fail, help us to run to Jesus. Father, I pray if anybody here does not know the Lord Jesus this morning, they don't know you, the God of grace. I pray that as we have this closing time together, that as we sing, you would convict their heart and bring them forward and allow us to take a Bible and share Christ with them and lead them to the cross. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, number 446. We're going to be the type of person that truly displays Christ before others. It's going to take time growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So our closing hymn is 446, Take Time to Be Holy. The altar is open. I don't know what God may be saying to you. I've learned in my years of the ministry that it's amazing how God the Holy Spirit can personalize a message like this for whatever the need is for your life. If you need to be saved today, I'd love to share Christ with you and lead you to the cross. You just come let me know that. But the altar is open, beloved. If the Lord were to lead you to come and pray today for whatever the need may be, you do that. 446, let's stand together and sing, take time to be holy.